Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, it's great to be with you today. Uh, my name is Paul Mumaw, and I'm the lead pastor here. If I've never had the chance uh, to meet you before, and I know that some of you are aware of this, but uh, today is my final Sunday for the summer. Uh, as a couple of years ago, our elders uh, submitted uh, an application. Uh, the Lilly Endowment of Indiana has this really cool program where they provide financial grants uh, to pastors to take uh, sabbatical time. And uh, we found out in August of last year that uh, I got to be a recipient of that. And so I have 14 weeks, uh, well, starting in a couple of hours, but who's counting, uh, where I get to do some really cool things this summer. The theme of my grant is built around this idea of walking as Jesus walked. I'm going to be in Israel for a couple of weeks this month. My family gets to do some really cool things as well. We get to go to Alaska together. I've got books that I'm looking forward to reading. I've got pastor friends and ministry that I'm just excited to go and visit their church and to see ministry in some other places here locally and around the country too. And um, I just want to take a moment today to say thank you to all of you uh, as a church because it wouldn't be without your support uh, that I get to do something like this. And so I want to say thank you for that, for your generosity uh, for your prayers, um, and also our staff, too. We have a fantastic staff here at Genesis, and uh, they have been so supportive of me and this time away this summer, and I sure do appreciate them. I am more than confident in their ability to lead and to serve you this summer, and uh, so I know it's going to be a great summer here. We've got some awesome things planned this summer. Uh, my encouragement to you is, hey, stay dialed in. Uh, we need you. Uh, we need you serving, you know. Uh, serving on our teams, just helping to continue the mission uh, of this church. Your generosity is so important, enabling us to do so many great uh, things right now. We've got some exciting things coming up this summer that you're going to learn about. And uh, so, and I just appreciate your prayers too. If you just be praying for me, I, I think if I had to sum it all up, I'm, I want to learn to trust the Lord in even deeper ways uh, and even greater ways this summer. And so I'm excited uh, for the opportunities before me. I am coming back, all right? I will be back to uh, continue as a part of this church. I love this church. My wife, my family, and I, like we love serving Genesis and living here in Noblesville. And so again, it's fun to be a part of this with you. Again, thank you for your support and, and prayers and all that. So let me, let me pray for us and for our church this morning as we get started. Heavenly Father, um, I, I just I count it as a great privilege and a blessing to get ready uh, to do what I get to do this summer, Lord. Thank you for that gift, and thank you for that opportunity, and uh, thanks for my family. Uh, Lord, I thank you for my church that I get to be a part of. I, I count it such a great blessing uh, to be a part of this church family. I love what you're doing here. Uh, I love how you're leading us, Lord. Uh, I, I just have... Uh, great hopes and dreams and great faith for how you're going to lead us into the future, the things that you want to do even this summer. And uh, thanks for our staff that serve so faithfully week after week. Thank you for our volunteers, our volunteer leaders that serve faithfully week after week. Thank you for the men and the women and the students that are going out and living on mission day after day in this community. And we just keep blessing this church. Lord, would you lead us and guide us? And um, I pray specifically right now for this, this morning too, and just for these words that you have given me to share today. Uh, Father, we know that when it comes to the topic of pain and suffering, well, that's just one thing that we all have in common. We all get it. We all have a very sensitive place and some more than others in our heart when it comes to this issue. And so will you meet us right here this morning? Would you speak to us in some real tender ways and maybe bring some clarity and hope and faith 
and draw us closer to you through it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, uh, we are in week two, if you missed last week, uh, of this series called Why I'm Not a Christian. And I want you to all have confidence that I am. I love the Lord, all right, and I do call myself uh, a Christian. But uh, in 1927, British philosopher Bertrand Russell Russell gave a lecture by this same title. And uh, the purpose for that lecture was to outline uh, his reasons for doubt uh, about God, about Jesus, uh, about Christianity. And many of the questions that he wrestled with back then are questions we struggle with today. Uh, These are questions that I think come up whether you call yourself a Christian or not. We all wrestle with them uh, in some way, shape, or form. And so our big goal really in this series is to address uh, some of these questions in a way that I hope will help some of you that maybe would say, you know what, I've got some serious doubts. I've got some serious questions when it comes to things like faith. And for others of you, uh, what I hope this series will do is encourage you in your faith Uh, and maybe better equip you for some conversations that you might find yourself in where others are asking questions uh, just like these. Now, one of the things that I want to say right from the start is that when it comes uh, to your faith, it's okay and it's normal to have questions. Uh, It's okay and normal to have doubts, to, to find yourself in seasons of life and in challenges where you can't help but ask questions about your faith in God. I mean, think about some of those places in Scripture. I think of one right away, and it's John the Baptist. Uh, And even thinking about John the Baptist in prison, and I think he certainly knew that the days of his life were numbered. And so he sent messengers to Jesus who went to Jesus and said to him, are you the one or should we expect someone else? And so even in that moment, just a little bit of a glimpse of maybe some of the questions that he was wrestling with. Billy Graham has talked about uh, seasons of his life where he had questions and doubts. I've had questions. I've certainly encountered some times in my life where there were doubts, and we all know that life happens, and when life happens and when you go through difficult times, it's not uncommon for these questions and doubts to arise, and I'll say this, I think it can be a good thing. I really think those questions can be a good thing, that God can use them for good. I heard someone say one time that faith without doubts is like a human without antibodies, All right, and so our questions can be good things, and wrestling uh, through these questions and doubts with God, and I think especially alongside of other followers of Christ, can actually strengthen your faith and drive you into a deeper and even deeper relationship with God. And so here's what we're going to do. Over the next few weeks, uh, we're going to explore a series of questions. If you missed the question that Kevin uh, talked about last week, you can check that out on our podcast. But what we hope to do, and what I want to continue today, is to provide for you some biblical insight and some encouragement. And I will say this, that because there's only so much I can cover in about 35 minutes, and because my level of intelligence only extends so far uh, on some of these items, we're going to also provide for you some helpful resources uh, for you to consider taking a look at, spending some time with. Those are on your uh, message notes today. You should have received that when you came in. Uh, You can find some great books there, some great websites, uh, again, that uh, could be an extension of some of those things that we're talking about today. But this morning... I want to take a look at a question uh, with you that according to the Barna Research Group is the number one question on the minds of Americans that they would love to ask God. And it's this, it's the question of, if there's a loving God, why in the world does he allow so much pain and so much suffering in the world? Like when you think about it, where's God when a young person is raped and murdered? Where, uh, why so much cancer today? Uh, what about tragedy? What, what about a car accident that takes someone's life? Uh, why, why would God allow so much innocent suffering in a place like Syria? 
Uh, the argument tends to sound like this in circles. It, it sounds like, you know, an all-powerful God could stop suffering, right? That's, that's how the argument begins. And so the fact that suffering continues must mean that God isn't all-powerful or that he doesn't exist. Or there's another argument that suggests that the presence of suffering uh, must mean that God doesn't care because if he can help and doesn't, then I must not be of value to him. And so how in the world can we say that this God of ours is indeed a God of love? Now, for many of you, though, the question, these questions, well, really aren't so much an intellectual uh, sort of discussion or question, but really an intensely personal one. Because for some of you here this morning, you've gone through some painful seasons in your life where you have felt completely abandoned and deserted by God. And maybe you've prayed and prayed and prayed and not been able to get pregnant. Uh, There's a chance that some of you in the room this morning have buried a child. Some of you have battled cancer or you've watched someone that you love uh, struggle and die from it. And I think if we're honest, I'm sure we've all had a moment, no matter what it has been, that we've all looked towards heaven and we've cried out, you know, God, what's, what's wrong with you? Like, where are you? I mean, what, what's the point of all of this? You know, it's in the midst of these struggles like these that our faith is really put to test. And, and when it's put to test, we're tempted, right? We're tempted to abandon faith or to give up on God altogether. Maybe, maybe that's the case for for some of you today. For others of you, it could be the reality of pain and suffering that prevents you from even believing God or making that commitment to trust God or trust Christ with your life. With that in mind, can I ask you a question today? Can I just, can I ask you to consider this perspective here this morning? I'd like you to think about this, like remove God from the equation altogether, okay? Let's just assume for the moment that there is no God. What then do you do with the problem of pain and suffering in our world? How then do we reason it? How well then do we deal with it? Like, would abandoning your faith in God make the problem of pain and suffering, even the current reality of pain and suffering in your life, any easier? Pastor J.D. Greer explains it like this. He says, let's just assume for a moment that there is no God. And, well, if there is no God, then we really can't complain about things like violence and destruction in our world. We're forced to conclude then that this is how things are. Because according to the laws of evolution, the only reason then that our species is here today is because it violently beat out all the others. That's how the survival of the fittest works. He says, if that's our reality, then, then we really can't complain. And here's what Greer says, and I would just say this, if you check out some of these resources that are listed on your message notes, you're going to find this argument laid out in more extensive ways. But, but he says, you know, Again, when it comes to pain and suffering, he says, you, you can complain that violence and death aren't right, but in doing so, you're admitting then that there has to be a transcendent good purpose for the universe, which means is what you're saying is that there is a good God behind the universe, this universe of ours that is really just being messed up. In other words, to say there is a problem with pain, according to Greer, is to admit that there's a God of the universe. Ravi Zacharias is a fantastic uh, brilliant thinker. And uh, he says like this, he says, when you admit to a moral law, you must postulate a moral law giver. For if there is no moral law giver, then there is no moral law. If there is no moral law, then there is no good. If there is no good, then there is no evil. And that's C.S. Lewis's story. If you've followed this life of C.S. Lewis at all, he, like many of us, struggled with the reality of a good God and so much suffering in the world at the same time. But what he discovered over time is that evil is more problematic for the atheist. In the end, he realized that suffering provided a better argument for God's existence than one against it. Now, I'll just say, I know that's a lot to be processed, all right? And so many questions still 
to be answered. But what can we all agree on? I, I think no matter where you come from in this discussion this morning, no matter your background on church or faith or where you stand with Christ today, I think deep down we all know that there is a presence of evil in this world. I think we just know that. We know it inherently. We realize that something's not right. And I think what, here's some of what maybe some of you need to wrestle with today, and it's just this, that while evil is a problem for belief in God, no doubt, I get it. Evil at the same time presents an even greater problem for not believing in God. Here's the point I'm trying to make. It's this, that you won't fix the problem of pain and suffering by abandoning your faith in God. It's not going to happen. And so the question for us today then becomes, what are we to make of it? And especially as Christians, especially as followers of Christ, when we know that our Savior was the one that said, in this world you will have trouble, we must therefore ask the question, then what are we to make of pain and suffering today. Now, I want to say this before I go any further. I want to say this to be clear. I don't have all of the answers, uh, certainly, to these questions of pain and suffering today. I would say this at the same time. I don't have a lot of experience with pain and suffering in my life. Like, my life has been relatively good compared to what some of you are going through right now, compared to what some of you have endured. But I will tell you this. I've carried some burdens. I've certainly had my own questions and my own doubts at times. I've, I've buried victims of tragedy and suicide as a pastor. I've been in hospital rooms with grieving moms and dads in the last minutes of their babies' lives. And so I've seen hurt. And again, while I don't have all of the answers to your questions today, I will tell you this, that I am a firm believer in the Word of God. And I trust the Word of God. I trust the Bible for us as God's gift to us. I believe the Bible for us is a deep well of knowledge. I believe it is comfort. I believe it is truth for us, and it's truth for me, and it's truth for our church. And so what I'm hoping that you'll do and consider today is to consider the difference that it might make for your life. And even in your season, even in this time of pain and suffering right now, to look to God's Word and to see it as truth and to look for hope and for guidance in it because we really have no other way apart from God. And so if you've got your Bibles today, I want to, again, look to God's Word with you. If you've got your notes with you today, I want to outline right from the beginning here uh, three reasons that we see in Scripture, just quickly, three reasons for pain and suffering in this world. I'll tell you that this is not an exhaustive list, all right? These are just three uh, kind of common themes that I see for suffering in our world, again, according to Scripture. I also want to add today that there have been some great pastors and teachers and sermons that I have learned from uh, in preparing for this message today. I want to certainly make you aware of that. But the first thing is this. Again, as we think about pain and suffering in our world, according to Scripture, sometimes, number one, sometimes our pain and suffering is the result of our own sin. All right, like we bring it on ourselves. Like think of some of these examples. Like if you drink and drive, you, you might take someone else's life uh, or take your own, all right? Uh, if you don't watch your diet, okay, heart disease becomes a real possibility, uh, if you fail to establish boundaries and, and disciplines in your life, you might end up in a financial disaster or, or something worse. If you sleep around, you might get an STD, all right? And so there are certain things. There is pain and suffering that we encounter in this world as a result of our own sin. Paul said it like this in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. He says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh... From the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit 
Well, from the Spirit, we'll reap eternal life. And so again, some suffering and pain that we encounter in this world is the result of our own sinful choices. Other times, suffering comes as a result of the sin of others, all right? You've ever been on the uh, other end of some pain and suffering, maybe as a result of the consequences of some people that you love and their own decisions. And so sometimes... It comes through other sin. The second thing is this, that sometimes pain and suffering is just simply the result of Satan uh, and his work and influence in this world. The Bible calls him a liar. Uh, the Bible calls him a deceiver. He, uh, he is the enemy. He's the prince of darkness. We know from Scripture uh, that he's real and that at least for now, he has been permitted to exist with limited power in this world. Uh, even Jesus, in referring to him in John chapter 10, verse 10, said this of Satan, that he is the thief. All right, that comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And so some of the pain and suffering uh, is the result of Satan and his personal attacks. But I believe that most suffering in the world is the result of this next one, number three, and that sometimes pain and suffering is just simply the result of living in a fallen or a broken world. And so to the question, uh, if there's a God of love, why earthquakes? Uh, why hurricanes? Why terrorism? Why things like uh, cancer? Well, for us as Christians, it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. And we know the story of Adam and Eve and their sin and how the world was infected by sin. If you were here uh, Easter weekend, you might remember that we used this graph uh, here on the screen and I was drawing it out on the whiteboard. Uh, this graph here, can we pull that up? Uh, back in the back, this graph with the three circles. There we go. Uh, and we talked about how if you look at the circle on the far top right, that if there's one thing we can probably all agree on is that we live in a broken world. We live in a world full of pain and suffering uh, and death. Uh, things don't work right, okay? Uh, families break apart. Uh, people encounter disease. There's war. There is suffering. We, we live in a broken world. Now, how did we get to this place? Well, uh, it wasn't always like that. If you think about the world, if you think about God's design, he had a perfect plan where people would live in harmony with one another, where people would live in harmony with him, where we would do things according to his will. But something happened. And what is it that happened? Well, sin entered this world, and it's because of sin that we now encounter brokenness and death. The world is broken. Deep in our hearts, we all understand that things aren't the way they're supposed to be. Here's how the Apostle Paul describes it in Romans chapter 8, verse 22. He says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. In other words, the whole creation is out of sync. All right, the world is out of balance. Things aren't working as they should be. Pastor Bob Russell says it like this, the air is polluted, the water is contaminated, the ground is poisoned, the weather is affected, and our bodies are vulnerable to germs, disease, and aging. Now, here's the hope that we have. As Christians, all right, and as followers of Christ, we know and believe that God provided a way through for us in Jesus Christ, and we know and believe that there is a day coming when God is gonna restore things once and for all. But in the meantime, we live in a broken world. We live in a world that is infected by sin. And so here's what I'm after today, and here's what I hope maybe we can do. With, with all of that in mind, I want to uh, suggest something. I want to suggest something for you to consider. 
when it comes to the reality of pain and suffering, whether it be in our world right now, whether it be in your family or even in your own personal life, that while I can't promise you in any way that this will satisfy you today, I can't promise you that it will make sense of everything you've had to endure, it might at least offer some perspective. And if you're willing today, and if you're willing to trust the Lord, and if you're willing to step out on faith with him in this, it's this perspective that I think at least has the potential to open your eyes to some explanation to the point of pain and suffering, even in your life right now today. And it's just simply this, that when it comes to pain and suffering, and here's what I wanna challenge you to consider today. When it comes to pain and suffering, God can use it. That he can use it. And not only use it, but he can bring good from it really good things, that he can bring something good out of your pain and out of all of this suffering. Look at Romans 8 again, and trust me when I say this, the Apostle Paul had a lot of experience with suffering. We don't have time to tell his story today, but listen to his words, Romans eight eighteen. he said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And so Paul says, he just simply says this, hey, when it comes to eternity, all right, and that's the perspective that we have to have as followers of Christ. He says, when it comes to eternity and everything that we have in front of us as followers of Jesus, he says, when it comes to eternity, our temporary afflictions are not worth comparing to what God has in store for you. And again, that's what Paul is wanting us to see. And this is the perspective that he's after that we must have as followers of Christ. He says, if you're going to endure suffering in this world, you gotta have an eternal perspective. It can't be just about today and tomorrow, but you gotta have this eternal perspective in mind. You gotta keep your head up and you gotta keep looking ahead to the day that is coming before you. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter four, Paul writes uh, on another occasion, he says, therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. He says this for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. See us. Lewis once says, he says, you know, when it comes to our present suffering and pain in this world, that heaven will be greater because of it. That somehow one day heaven will work backwards and make sense of everything we ever had to endure in this life. Let's look at another verse in Romans 8 where Paul gets at this. Romans 8, 28, he says, when we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And so when you experience something really bad and you wonder how in the world something good can possibly come from it, you've got to grasp onto the truth of Scripture and the promise that he can, that our God can bring good from it, that he can bring good from whatever it is that you're going through right now. He can bring good from your worst days. He can bring uh, good things from that appointment. He can bring uh, good things from your worst news. And that doesn't mean that we'll see it all in the beginning. And it doesn't mean, it certainly doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. But as followers of Jesus, we can hold on to the hope that in all things, everything, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. He's a faithful God. And whether you like it or not, it's the songs we were just singing a moment ago. He is a good father. He is a faithful God. And we will not be shaken when we cling to him and when we hold on to him and to his promises because they are good and they are good, even in our worst pain. 
and even in your worst suffering. And so let me, let me round this out for us today. And here's what I want to ask you to do before we close. I want to ask you to consider some good things that God can bring from your pain and suffering right now. And these are our benefits, really, that can come out of our pain and suffering. The first thing is this, that God can use your pain and suffering to discipline you or to discipline us. He, he can use our pain and suffering to discipline us. Now, I know you're thinking right away, well, how in the world is that a benefit? Like, you know, what, what good can possibly come uh, from discipline? Well, think about why you discipline your children and the good things that you have in mind in disciplining your children or your grandchildren. Why do you do it? You want them to grow. You want them to make wise choices. You, you'll love them too much to see them fall into a pattern of bad habits and bad choices. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6 and 7 says this about discipline. The Lord disciplines the one he what? Loves. He disciplines those he loves. He chastens everyone he accepts as his son. He says, endure hardship as discipline because God is treating you as his children. For what children are not, are not disciplined by their father. Now, that doesn't mean that every instance of pain and suffering that you encounter in this life is an example of discipline by God. All right? But it does provide for us some perspective. These words do remind us that God will discipline his children. He disciplines those he loves. Several years ago, Boston College professor and philosopher uh, Peter Kreef was interviewed on this topic of God and suffering. And he described it like this. Uh, and I'll just read from you as he wrote. He says, imagine a bear in a trap and a hunter who, out of sympathy, chooses to liberate that bear. So he tries to win the bear's confidence so that he can unfasten his leg from the trap. But the bear has no idea what's going on, and he thinks that the man is trying to harm him. So finally, the hunter has to shoot the bear full of tranquilizers. The bear, however, thinks this is an attack and that the hunter is trying to kill him. He doesn't realize that this is being done out of compassion. But then in order to get the bear out of the trap, the hunter has to actually push the bear further into the trap to release the tension on the spring. If the bear were even semi-conscious at this point, he would be even more convinced that the hunter was his enemy who was out to cause him pain and suffering, but the bear would be wrong. And he reaches this incorrect conclusion because he's not a human being. And then he continues. He says, now, how can anyone be certain that that's not got an analogy between us and God? He says, I believe that God does the same to us sometimes, and we can't comprehend why he does it any more than the bear can understand the motivations of the hunter, as the bear could have trusted the hunter so we can trust God. Here's the thing for us. In the very same light, the Lord disciplines those he loves. And we may not see it, and we may not always understand it, and sometimes it hurts, but he disciplines us out of love, he disciplines us, he disciplines you to protect you from even greater harm. In that same chapter, Hebrews 12, verse 11, the writer says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it, for those that will come under and submit themselves to it. And so he disciplines us. The second thing is this, that God can use our pain and suffering to comfort us. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, the Apostle Paul writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles. Now, this is one of the ways that God definitely works for all things, all things for the good. And because he desires to have a deep and an intimate relationship with you and me, he can use your pain and 
He can use our struggles to draw us in, to bring us into an even closer, more dependent relationship with him. I, I can't help but think of the story of Johnny Erickson Tata. And I don't know if you know her story at all or not, but she's pictured here, and I'm not sure if you can tell, but uh, she's in a, in a wheelchair. Uh, when she was 17 years old, she experienced a serious diving accident in Chesapeake Bay. She's been a quadriplegic uh, ever since, living out of her wheelchair for almost 50 years now. And along the way, she has impacted millions for Christ with her, her story, but as she has shared very honestly about her own pain and struggles and doubts, but, but also the comfort that she has found in Christ. I was uh, reading an interview of hers uh, just the other day, and I love her words. She says, I sure hope I can bring this wheelchair to heaven. She says, now I know that's not theologically correct, but I hope to bring it and put it in a little corner of heaven and then in my new glorified body, standing on grateful glorified legs, I'll stand next to my Savior holding his nail-pierced hands. She says, I'll say thank you, Jesus, and he'll know that I meant it because he knows me. He'll recognize me from the fellowship I now share in his sufferings. And I will say, Jesus, do you see that wheelchair? You were right when you said that in this world we would have trouble because that thing's been a lot of trouble. But the weaker I was in that thing, the harder I leaned on you. And the harder I leaned on you, the stronger I discovered you to be. It never would have been, it never would have happened had you not given me the bruising of the blessing of that wheelchair. And I found this interesting because after saying all those things, she said, she goes, I'd love to say to Jesus, then will you please send that wheelchair to hell, all right, once and for all. <laughs> but she does go on to describe that moment when we're with Jesus and there'll be no more pain and suffering and there'll be no more tears. And, and the scriptures say that the Lord Jesus will wipe away every tear. And she says this, listen to these words carefully. She said, I find it so poignant that finally at the moment when I do have the use of my arms to wipe away my own tears, I won't have to because God will. Johnny Erickson Tata knows pain and suffering and she has found that it has the potential to push you away from God or the potential to bring you close to him in a way that you never imagined possible. And I just want you to know this morning that the same is true for you. He can do the very same for you, that God can use your pain and struggle to draw you close to him, and he will comfort you in a way that will satisfy all of your needs. Which leads to our next benefit, and that is that God can use our pain and suffering to give us greater influence here on this earth. And he did that for Johnny Erickson Tata. I want you to know this morning that he can do that for you. God can use your pain and suffering to help others. And sometimes he'll do that by giving you a platform like he has uh, for her. But other times he might have a smaller audience in mind. His audience might just simply be your family, could be your children. Uh, his audience for you could be your coworkers or your neighbors or or even just one friend, one friend in your life, maybe right now who doesn't know the Lord, but maybe someone God has strategically placed in your life for a reason. Maybe he's calling you to disciple that person to help lead them to Christ, to grow in Christ. Look at, look at those words from 2 Corinthians 1 again. We looked at them just a moment ago. I want to finish out verse 4, though. Again, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, but Why? so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. You know what this is like. I mean, think about how often when you go through a difficult experience and how it enables you, really, to help share in the suffering with others, to understand in a new way. I mean, you found this to be true. 
certainly in life, that if you've gone through something difficult, the most helpful people are usually those that have gone through a similar experience. And so can you even see how God can use your pain and suffering in such a way that, well, you might be available for someone else at just the right time and at just the right moment. The last thing is this, that God can use our pain and suffering so that we can better appreciate Jesus' suffering. Philip Yancey tells a story. Philip Yancey's a great writer too. I think his resource is listed on your message notes. But he tells a story about Dr. Paul Brand. A true story, Dr. Paul Brand and his visit to a leper colony in India. And Dr. Brand went there as an observer, but the people in this leper colony were so appreciative of his willingness to come into their community that they insisted he said something. And so he stood before these lepers, again, not knowing what to say, but being a hand surgeon, uh, Dr. Brand couldn't help but notice their hands. And uh, here are these lepers with their hands, and many of them drawn to a claw, some of them with just simply a stub, many of them missing at least fingers. Most of them, he noted, were sitting on their hands just simply as a way of hiding them. And Dr. Brand, well, he said this. He says, you know, I'm a hand surgeon. He said this to the crowd. So I always notice people's hands. A, A palm reader says that he can tell you the future by looking at your hands. I can tell you something about a person's past by looking at their hands, whether they're calloused or their fingernails. I can, I can sometimes tell people's character by their hands. He says, I love hands. And he could tell that the uh, lepers were somewhat con- or self-conscious again, but then he began to talk to them about the hands of Jesus. And Yancey records, he says, you know, I would have loved to have met Jesus Christ and just been able to shake his hands and feel his hand in mind. And knowing the kind of person that he is, I think I could tell you something. I think I know something about the hands of Jesus. So he described Jesus as a little baby and his tiny fingers in the manger holding onto the finger of his dad. He, he talked about the awkward hands of Jesus, the little boy, maybe holding a stylus, working on the alphabet. Uh, and then the hands of Jesus, the carpenter, strong, gnarled, bruised with splinters from all the working with wood. And then he talked to them about the hands of Jesus as a physician, sensitive, compassionate, powerful hands, touching people who are blind, making them able to see again, people with withered hands and making them well and blessing the little children with his hands. And then, of course, the crucified hands of Jesus. And he said to them, think about that. He says, it hurts me to think about Jesus' hands being crucified because it's almost impossible to drive a nail through a hand without paralyzing it. And so Jesus' hand was certainly clawed and paralyzed when he died on the cross. And well, an observer to this moment described the atmosphere uh, to the writer of this story. And he described how the leper colony really became electric in this moment. The thought of Jesus paralyzed his paralyzed hands, just like theirs. And then Dr. Brand said, you know, the most fascinating thing to me, though, is to think about the resurrected hands of Christ. Usually we think about the resurrected body as being perfect, but when Jesus rose from the dead, he says to his disciples, it is I, come see my hands. In fact, he invited Thomas, come put your finger in my hand. And why would Jesus carry with him the scars in his hands for all eternity? Could it be that he wants us to have them as a continual reminder of what it was like to suffer so that there would be this ongoing understanding that Christ suffered and hurt for us and with us? And then as Dr. Brand finished his talk, it said that all of the lepers almost simultaneously quit sitting on their hands, lifted their hands in praise to God and thanksgiving to Dr. Brand in the familiar sign of Indian respect, namaste, 
those gnarled, clawed hands, those stubs, those fingerless palms now held a new dignity and a new sense of worth because Christ's own response to suffering made their suffering just a little bit easier. And again, that's uh, told in Philip Yancey's book, Where is God When It Hurts? And then Yancey adds this before I close. Yancey writes, the surgery of life hurts. It helps me, though, to know that the surgeon himself, the wounded surgeon, has felt every stab of pain and sorrow. Will you bow your heads with me? And what I'm going to ask you to do this morning, no matter what it is for you, no matter what it is that you're enduring right now or what you've gone through, is to just grasp on to this reality for just a moment that Christ suffered and died for you. And that because he suffered, he understands. And because he's our Savior, he is good. And because he died, we can have life and hope and confidence no matter what it is that we face if we just put all of our faith and trust in him. Can I just ask you today, would you dare step out on the ledge and put your faith and trust in Jesus? And maybe part of that trust is just pleading with him right now that you don't have anything left. And it could be that at this moment of desperation right now, that it could be this precise moment where maybe God is ready to take over in your life in a new way as you trust him. He wants to draw you in. He wants a deep and intimate relationship with you and he can provide for you everything that you need. Father, you know every person, every life, every soul in this room today. You know all of the hurt and all of the pain and suffering. Father, will you draw us in today to you, to put our faith in you, to those that are barely holding on today, to instead let go and to reach and to grab onto you instead. And I pray that as we do that, Lord, we would encounter you in a powerful and an amazing way. You are a merciful and a gracious God. And all of our hope is in you today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.